This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Tour Catch Up, Yannick Sinner strolls to the title in Antwerp. Annette Contevate comeback seals the Moscow crown. And Emma Raducanu gears up for the Transylvania Open. Kim, another round of tournaments on the ATP and WTA tours. We are finally in the home straight, it feels like, post Indian Wells, back in Europe, and we've got a lot of a lot of tennis to talk about. We're in the indoor season mostly. I mean Tenerife was outdoors. I mean it looked beautiful there, but really the the name of the game at the moment for a lot of players around ten or so in the world, I think, is ranking points. And really at the moment it is a big opportunity for all these players to get ranking points on the board, whether that means going to Guadalajara for the WTA end of season tour finals or Turin for the ATP end of season finals. It feels like ranking points are the name of the game at the moment. Indeed. Yeah. Tail end of the season and it's all to play for for a select few players. And for everyone else, it's kind of like, yeah, I'll try and get title, get my ranking up before the start <laughs> of next season. Maybe some players have probably checked out and they're just you know, looking mm. forward to their Christmas holidays, in which case I do not blame them. We all need a bit of a break, don't we? Were you thinking Muguruza in mind after that 6-1, 6-1 loss to, uh, to Contivate in, uh, in Moscow? Well, she wasn't very happy with the weather in uh, Moscow, so <laughs> perhaps that played a factor. She should have gone and played Tenerife and, you know, mm. felt a bit more at home. She would have been right at home in, in Tenerife. And I mean, given Svitolina went out so early, I think the organisers would have would have loved to have an SOS call to, to Muguruza with the uh, what looked like some really glorious weather, actually, in, in Tenerife. I know, it's making me, you know, long for the Spanish sun. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, we'll get on to Tenerife in a bit. Let's start with uh, Moscow uh, over for the women with the Kremlin Cup because one player certainly made the most of her week and that is Annette Contivate because she won her third title of the year. Mm. Um, she came back from a set and four love down in the final against Ekaterina Alexandrova, winning 7-5 in the third set. So very close affair, but she's really on a roll. It's her third title of the year but um, her fifth final overall and all of that's come in the last few months so she's really making the most of this particular phase of the year and is now on a 10 match win streak um, indoors and uh, yeah she's looking very very difficult to beat at the moment and uh, definitely the the informed player on the WTA tour. Yeah she's been really really impressive over the last few tournaments and She's putting herself in with a shout, actually, to you know be in Guadalajara for the the WTA 
end of season finals. Onjabor has pulled out um, of Cormayeur this week. And, you know, she retired actually uh, in the first round against Alexandrova in Moscow. And that really, I think, helped Kontovit in terms of that feeling that she could, you know, potentially, you know, be there. And she's really put this fantastic run together that has stretched over the last few months. It's come out of nowhere for me, uh, you know, a little bit. I feel like she's a player who, I feel like she, you know, we know that she's a very, very good tennis player, but not necessarily has always been able to kind of put these sorts of streaks to, together. But at the moment, yeah, she's an absolutely, she's absolutely fine form. And in that final, I mean, against... Alexandrova on home home territory six four four love down that is very impressive stuff and you you just felt that for Alexandrova this was a match that I mean of course this was a match that got away from her I felt like the nerves maybe got a bit got a bit better of her um, particularly in that third set I think she was I think she was a break up uh, twice wasn't able to hold on to it and it just I think shows you the the confidence and the belief I think that that Contivate is playing with at the moment because. She really does have a, you know, never say die attitude and she really needed it in that final. And, and perhaps with the, you know, the motivation of potentially getting to the, the WTA tour finals, that potentially helped to get her over the line. Yeah, quite a few momentum shifts in that final. And I think it just came down to being able to execute, you know, mm. when it got really tight on those key points and, um, you know, push came to shove, Contivate was able to do that. And I think it probably didn't help Alexandra that she, you know, has had a couple of retirements en route to the final. She's had, generally speaking, a bit of an easier pathway, which I always feel, you know, doesn't really mm. um, get, get you so up for a fight. I mean, I suppose Contivate also has had an easy pathway, but perhaps she's um, a bit more battle-hardened from all her match wins of late. But um, I think, you know, Contivate yeah, she has got to win uh, the Transylvania Open in Cluj this week um, in order to pass Jabur in the race and qualify for the WTA final. So she has to win Cluj. And I mean, given her current form and, and you know, win rate, that's not uh, looking that <laughs> unlikely. So it's all on no. her, really. She could over, overtake yeah, Jabur and, and qualify. I mean, this is in theory the, the tougher draw. I mean, this is a WTA 500 and there were some real, uh, you know, obstacles, I think, in the way. And you, know, you looked at her draw and you thought, you know, Garbina Muguruza, second seed against Contevate in the, the quarterfinals. And you thought you looked at that matchup and you thought, oh, this could be quite a tight contest. And you perhaps you might have favoured Muguruza to come through, but absolutely not. I watched a bit of the highlights earlier, Kim. Contivate coming through 6-1-6-1 against the second seed Garbina Muguruza. I mean, what happened there? I know we we jokingly spoke about the the cold weather. We know that she, Muguruza was posting earlier in the week. She's hating the cold, and I think she may have found out that uh, you know she uh, had qualified uh, for the the end of season finals. Maybe that was playing on her mind. She just wanted to to get out of there, but. Yeah, and the highlights. She just did not look really that motivated. She was throwing in a lot of a lot of faults on serve, actually, and maybe just think that she just wanted to to get out of there, to be honest. But at the same time, Contivate was playing really, really well, full of confidence, and she just she just blasted Muguruza off the court, which you you don't really say happens that often. I can't can't really think of many scorelines where I've seen Muguruza so kind of comprehensively comprehensively outplayed. Yeah, she doesn't often get thrashed. She's not mm. one of those players that would capitulate and, you know, right. not be able to get a ball in court. So a bit out of character, you know, she can blow hot and cold, but perhaps not 
to the real, you know, extremities. And she had struggled to get past Martinkova in the first round. But mm. um, I mean, Sabalenka also didn't have a particularly great week. She she lost to Alexandrova, um, Halep as well, losing to Sakari. So um, you know, a couple of the other top seeds and big names not not you know getting through beyond the uh, the quarterfinals and and such like. But um, you know regardless some, some great tennis on show it was a very close final so um mm. all in all good tournament and it makes it very exciting with this sort of jabor contivate you know who's gonna get their battle i know and and as i said i do think with on jabor she has played a lot of tennis and i think i think at the moment yes i know she is really committed obviously she really wants to be there you can sense that you she really wants to be there for the the end of season finals but you, I just feel like she's played a lot of tennis and maybe that's that caught up with her in in Moscow uh you know she retired 6-1 one love down to Alec Alexandrova I think she's got a I think it was due to her elbow uh, and that's the reason why she's not playing this week as well so I wonder if tennis is caught up with her a little bit and you know I think that's what's so you know, one of the aspects of, you know, the end of the season, why it's so fascinating is that it's not like the start of the season where everyone is fresh. Everyone is, I think there are players, there are top players who are tired and it opens up, I think, these kind of opportunities for potentially like, you know, fresher players to come in and, and make, uh, you know, make a name for themselves. And I think, I think that's what Alexandra did here by getting through to the final because, you know, she beat Sabalenka the top seed um, and that was very very impressive I know Sabalenka's just been coming back from a, a bout of of Covid and and you know she spoke about the fact that you know she it sort of wiped her out for the the first four days but um, yeah very good win I think for her against the the top seed and I think for Sabalenka yeah she'll be looking to get some more matches in before the, the end of season finals because you know it don't, it's not necessarily a done thing I think coming back I think we saw that with Dan Evans for example it's quite takes a few tournaments I think to just get back into that rhythm and I think this 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 tournament I think was probably a bit a bit of a learning process I think for Sabalenka in that respect no absolutely and I mean I feel like this year for, for everyone not just professional tennis players it's it's been very tiring. It's been, mm. you know, a very emotional roller coaster. What with the pandemic, you know, that's ongoing, and and also, you know, for these players, they've been going around traveling in bubbles with various restrictions and protocols they have to follow. Probably is a bit more mental fatigue going on than the normal. What with everything, you know, it's been so Definitely. up and down. And obviously, there's all this chat about, you know, vaccinations for players, and it's, you know, there's so many kind of differences compared to a normal season pre-pandemic so perhaps we are seeing a bit more you know ups and downs with with various um players and score lines and I mean let's let's touch on Tenerife Joel now because we were saying last week looking ahead to this that you know Svitolina was far and above you know the top <laughs> seed like if you looked at you know um no offense but the caliber of of the other seeded players in the draw you know Svitolina was sort of almost a dead cert to to go deep but and what happens behold, i know yeah she loses <laughs> in the first round but to be fair she lost to maria camilla osorio serrano who made it all the way to the final and is herself having a, a real breakout season and um she came through against vitalina in three sets and you know went on a bit of a run which is great for for you know um the, the spanish fans having a you know she's colombian but you know her hispanic player who you know up to this point has been most notable on a clay court but it's great that she's like transferring her abilities onto a 
onto a hard court and she missed out to um American Anne Lee in the final who came through 6164 um just over an hour to get um well her second title of the year um or perhaps her first <laughs> we were having debates about this weren't we before before recording because it's sort of like 1.5 isn't it in terms of titles for the year for Anne Lee isn't it yeah, because she and Annette Contefe, actually, they've both won this week. But they both shared the title, I think it was the Grampians Trophy in Melbourne, which was that <laughs> extra tournament they mm. put on before that AO. And they couldn't play the final because I think, was it was it terrible weather? So it got delayed or something or other happened. They couldn't play, so they shared the title. So I don't know if that's officially gone down as like a title or not. It's like a half title. <laughs> but I mean, Anne Lee will be really pleased to have actually won a full title now. Um, and actually both her and Osorio Serrano have had amazing years because respectively you know this time last year they were sort of ranked in the 100 to 200 bracket and they're now just outside the top 50 so they've both like half their rankings in the last year and made a few finals and um, you know it was Anne Lee that was able to come through in the Tenerife final um, just a bit more bit more power on the day I think coming through and Osorio was trying all the drop shots in the world but um wasn't quite coming off um and you know and Lee making the most of of those errors that uh, Osorio Serrano was committing but um I mean also interestingly Joel you know what with Osorio Serrano I feel like we don't need to say the Serrano anymore I believe she's (laughs) dropping she's dropping the Serrano from her name is that is that correct yes so I think I could be wrong, but I get the impression that she, I saw this on, on social media that, um, yeah, she is now just going to be for WTA purposes. It's just going to be Camilla Osario. So we're not, we don't have to go through the full name anymore. <laughs> we don't have to call her like MCOS. You know, we're not going to give her like a PCB style three letter name. Um, she's just going to be Camilla Osario. But, um, yeah, as you said, I think, you know, I was sort of surprised actually at the final because, you know, Osario Serrano beat the top seed and then she beat Camilla Georgie as well, uh, in the semi final. And that felt that <laughs> I watched that match. That was very much death by death by drop shot. It did feel borderline a little bit excessive at times, but you could <laughs> see, you could see that, um, you know, that Georgie was getting particularly frustrated. She didn't really, you know, she just wanted a battle from the baseline and Osario Serrano wasn't giving her that. And, you know, actually one of the, the things I love about her game is, is the variety that she can bring at such a young age. And I think that's what's doing, I think that's what's working really well for her um, and has, has enabled her, I think, to kind of climb up the rankings. And I do think that, you know, we're seeing a trend of players that are able to kind of go up the rankings or or win titles. You know, I'm thinking, you know, at the very top, like Ash Barty, they can bring a variety to their game on Jabour as well um, that can kind of mitigate anyone who has a sort of power game from the baseline like a Camilla Georgie, then it was really, I think it's it's a real hot uh, commodity, I think, in the WTA Tour at the moment. And I think that was one of the reasons why she got through to the final. Um, I was just a bit surprised, actually, that Anne Lee won so uh, easily, 6-1, 6-4, because, yeah, I would have thought that Osorio Serrano was going to be in really high confidence, really confident mood, given, you know, having taken out the, the number one seed and the number four seed. But, you know, to credit to give credit to Anne Lee, she played a fantastic match. And again, she's a player who's playing with so much confidence, as you would expect for a player kind of rising up the rankings. Both players have had very impressive seasons this season. And I think, you know, they'll use this season and all the learning experiences from it and take that into, 
you know, well, take it into kind of the, their future and, and see where it can go. Because I certainly don't think that, you know, they're, they're done just yet. They can go, they can go even higher. And for American tennis, it's another, you know, it's another name, I think, to add to the, <laughs> to the growing list, both on the, the men's side and the, the women's side of, of players to look out for. But, um, yeah, really impressive victory from Ann Lee. I did notice, Kim, match point, bit of a weird one. And, and listeners, if you want to look at, look at this, go on, go on to YouTube and, and watch the highlights, but, it was like a mid-court smash and it was like the game is up for Asoria Serrano match point. So she decided to kind of wave her arms about, which looks like, it looks like for some fans, it looks like she was trying to distract Ann Lee um, and, you know, trying to, to put her off. I just thought, you know, she was holding her hands up in terms of saying like, oh, the, the jig is up here. You know, I've lost the match. But um, yeah, I noticed some some fans think that, you know, it was a bit of a bit of potentially underhand tactics i know you were sort of describing it as a bit like yurtsy dudek in the uh, the champions league final for <laughs> liverpool yeah i'm not sure how relevant that analogy is but <laughs> it's sort of waving your hands in the air trying to potentially distract your opponent just made me think of him on the on the penalty line and that sort of critical uh shootout i would have thought it would have been really interesting to see if 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 Anne lee had lost that point or she put the smash into the net what the umpire would have done because i would have loved to have seen uh imagine winning a, a tournament on a hindrance call i don't feel like that happens very often um well Anne lee was very cool calm and collected so it didn't get to her <laughs> whatever Sor- osorio was trying to potentially do down the other end but yeah really great for Anne lee you know there were only two seeded players that actually made it through mm. to the second round so to come Absolute through and make the most of a yeah. of an open draw is like all you can ask for really um and just a note on Svitolina Joel obviously she didn't have a very good um good time in Tenerife but she's just announced that she's split from Andy Bettles who is her longtime coach former guest on the passing shot and um unfortunately yeah they've ended their five-year partnership um and you know it sounds like it's ended you know amicably she's wished him well and I think you know perhaps it just had run its natural course and you know she has been quite up and down of late so I think perhaps she's just looking for some new new guidance, new direction. Yes, yes, I agree. I think it's uh I think it's a, you know, it's one of these situations where as you said, I think naturally it was coming towards the end. Svitolina, let's be honest, has looked a shadow of her former self this season. It's been quite up there's been ups, there's been some ups, but there's been I think a majority of, of downs. And although I think, you know, this season will be, I think, memorable for her uh because of you know getting engaged and having a wedding to uh you know her partner Gail Monfils and I think you know that would have bring her obviously lots and lots of happiness and, and joy um I think she'll be remembering it for that as opposed to kind of her her performances and you know watching some of the you know watching some of the highlights against um Osorio Serrano I mean I think she was a uh, you know she had won the first set she was looking good but yeah she just she just seems to be getting in this slump at the moment and we know that when Svitolina is on, she's a very good player. And, you know, it wasn't long ago we were talking about, you know, when when she's going to break through to reach her first Grand Slam final. But it just unfortunately seems at the moment that um, she is, you know, she is quite far away from, from that. And perhaps she does need a bit of a, a reset and a, and a mind a mindset change. And, and that might come with a, a new coach. So I certainly feel that Although it's, you know, it feel quite sad, you know, they've developed a, a quite a good and, and long-standing relationship, as you said, over kind of five years. I think it does feel the right right moment for both of them to kind of reassess and, and look what's out there. And I think for Svitolina to understand, well, how do I get back to 
being the player that I was because although I think her ranking is I sort of I still think she's around sort of top 10 or near or near or near enough about she certainly doesn't feel like she's playing like it at the moment yeah I think having that fresh kind of connection with a new coach might mm. be you know hopefully that will unlock whatever it is that she needs to go that extra step and mm. we may find in the new in the new year that it's a, a news for selena so wishing her all the, so. well, all the best you know with whatever she decides to to do coach wise um i mean let's let's look at the, the men's tournaments joel from from the last week as well um two men's tournaments we also had the kremlin cup uh you know, male edition, uh, ATP event, which was won by uh, Aslan Karatsev. So home favourite, second seed. And uh, he came through against Marin Cilic, uh, who I think I had said would have a good week. <laughs> I think I got that mm. one fairly all right in our sort of tentative predictions last week. Um, but Karatsev kind of dominated the final, 6-2, 6-4. Um, that's his second title of the season. You know, and this is obviously his breakout season as well. Um, yeah, he was very strong in the final, you know, it hasn't dropped a set en route to this this title. Um, you know, beat Kachanov in the semis. Uh, one of your faves, Jill Simon, Jill Simon in the uh, yeah. quarterfinals. It's quite interesting seeing Jill Simon back in the quarterfinal. I know um, that was that was a bit of a throwback. <laughs> I wasn't really I wasn't really expecting that from uh, the the men's Kremlin Cup. Uh, but yeah, it was um, yeah it was very good. I think for Kratsev. I mean, looking at the draws, Kim. I'm not going to lie. Looking at Chilich's draw. Like Tommy Paul, Pedro Martinez, and then Ricardus Barankis, lucky loser in a semi-final. That feels like a bit of a gimme to uh, to get to the final. So well, I feel like he had a, quite a nice, quite a nice route, and was aided by a really surprise result that I was just caught caught me off guard. I think it caught a lot of people off guard. Andre Rublev, top seed, first match, Adrian Manorino. Goes and loses it in three sets. I was very, I was very, very shocked by that. And maybe it would have been completely different if that had, had changed. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Rublev in front of his home crowd. Normally I would be a bit of a banker there against Manorino, but, um, yeah, bit of a, bit of a surprise. And I, you know, I, I was kind of thinking he was the, the Russian that maybe was going to end up as the, as the champion, but it was, uh, you know, it was Karatsev. Yeah, that Manorino match, very odd. Um, Manorino for me is like the ultimate journeyman. Like, I just don't see any danger in his game when he, I don't know, he just doesn't seem like the sort of player that's gonna, I mean, yes, of course, he can upset anyone, I suppose, on the, on his day, but I just, you know, perhaps it's not that shocking, but it's just like, oh, really? Rublev, that's, that's what you went and did this, this week. But, um, because <laughs> you sure... think he's such a bully of those sorts of players. You just yeah, would have thought that he would just come yeah. through. In straight sets. I mean, we saw Manorino at, at Queens, didn't we? On we uh, did, on, yeah. on court one against Liam Brody, actually, wasn't it? Um, and yeah, you didn't really sense he has too many weapons. I know he gave. He, I think he was a little bit unlucky against Roger Federer actually at Wimbledon because they had that match, which was which was quite tight for you know pr- probably a longer and ex- more extended period of time than I think Fed fans would have hoped. But um, yeah, a bit bit surprising there. But um, yeah, it was a good it was a good result I think for Russians. Not maybe you know not the the player I was sort of expecting. But an interesting fact came about Kratsev and the fact that he he has won. Um, he has become the first male player 
to reach multiple tour level finals in each of singles, doubles and mixed doubles during the season since Mark Woodford in 1992 which uh it just i think remind it reminds me because he obviously had his breakout at the australian open in the singles but he's developed his game this year uh to be well to become really a man for a man for all formats on the uh on the uh on the tennis tour a man for all seasons all formats <laughs> whoever you put him on a court with he's gonna get to that <laughs> final no it's, it's good for him like he's had a great year and i hope his his good run of you know success continues and he sort of becomes a consistent figure i mean that is a very good thing to have i think for what well, with davis cup coming up very much a kind of a could be a kind of a linchpin of of a team in the sense that he can he can do it all and i think those players are a bit of a premium aren't they when it comes to things like the, the Davis Cup you know I think we've spoken about Jack Sock for example being an example of one of those players who maybe not necessarily on the level of Kratsev but you'd certainly say he's got singles credibility and doubles credibility but certainly yeah Kratsev is making a name for himself he's made a name for himself this season in singles 100% no doubt given where he was like a year ago what out, outside the top 200 and now into the the top 20 but I think what more impressively is the fact that his his versatility and the fact that you know I think it it just is a credit I think to his his game and his his variety that he's just able to apply it to yeah to any sort of arena. Yeah, and we look forward to all the players we'll discover in the year that comes because obviously with this time last year we hadn't heard of Karatsev, so I'm excited for which names it is that will emerge next year that you know we, currently we're not we're not aware of so <laughs> we'll see who who does a Karatsev next season um yeah great for Karatsev we also had the Antwerp event in Belgium uh which obviously we saw Andy Murray we'll get, we'll get on to him in, in a little bit um and this was very much a you know the seeds kind of going to to form in the final anyway top two seeds Sinner and Schwartzman battling it out in the final um, I think we did say that Sinner was on, you know, looking good for this event. And he had a fantastic week, didn't drop a set on his way to the title. Very comfortable in the final, 6-2, 6-2 against Schwartzman. Yeah, basically just strolled through the tournament. His last five sets were 6-2. <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely ruthless. Um, you, you do look at his game and think it is, it is tailor-made for an indoor hardcore. And... Um, yeah, Schwartzman in the final just, I mean, he was playing some really good tennis this week and he just did not have an answer to, to Yannick Sinner, who was really kind of coming out on top in, 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 in all, in all departments, really. He was really aggressive on the, you know, on the return, particularly, I think, on the Schwartzman second serve. Um, he was just firing winners left, right and center. It was just, again, so impressive from him. Um, I think he's still got an outside chance of, being at the um, Turin end of season finals for the top eight, uh, he can he will be there. I think for the uh, the next gen finals, but uh, I think sure probably you will have greater ambitions. But yeah, another another title, um, another title. I think he's now the youngest player to claim five tour titles since Novak Djokovic did as a nineteen year old in two thousand and seven. So he's in great kind of um, stature there and. Um, yeah, just it's just crazy. This season again has just been a very, very, very impressive season for him in terms of racking up the titles. Maybe not necessarily in terms of you know, ranking. You know, I feel like it's still a bit. It's been quite steady, but at the same time, the number of titles he's just racking up is just it's just crazy good for a twenty year old. 
I feel like Felix Ogiela's team is looking at Sinner like, how are you doing that? How do you win a final? Um, but <laughs> yes, yeah, Sinner, yeah, Sinner and Herkaj and I think Casper Rude, even Cam Norrie, I think they're very close mm. to that um, final spot. And, you know, they're, they're all playing in Vienna this week. So there's a lot up for grabs. And Sinner is one of those players that, you know, it will be all guns blazing trying to to get that spot. Um, yeah, great week for Sinner. You know, he just continues to impress. And um, I mean, other notable events from this week in Antwerp, that Andy Murray, uh, Francis Tiafo <laughs> match. Did you, did you watch watching it all, it. Joel? <laughs> You're still watching it. <laughs> oh, my God. That was an unbelievable war of attrition i mean it was such a fantastic match um obviously i'm an andy murray fan but uh yeah what was it three hours three hours 42 45, minutes or 45 like minutes yeah it was i think it was the longest longest best of three set match uh on the tour this year um i think it was a first for andy murray in the sense of he's never played a best of three set match with three tie breaks which you consider all the things he's accomplished in his career that was still a first for him which seems incredible but uh it was just such a fantastic match played in the right spirit there was a nice little like man hug at the end as well all the crowd were loving it um I was sort of a bit sad that you know TFO had to kind of go off court as the, as the loser but you know you could see afterwards he did a he did a really nice kind of Instagram post um just kind of commenting on the match commenting on Andy Murray um it was just such a oh it's just such a fantastic watch and um you know it was a real it was such a it was such a tight match and um you know for, for Andy to come through that was was you know really impressive I know we we always talk about the metal hip and we should not forget that um but yeah you I think that just I think that match alone just shows you where his physically where he's at, at the moment and I think you can say that he can he can now hang physically with the you know with the tour um and I, you know i think that match shows it i still think in terms of tennis ability particularly with the top players there is arguably some more work to be done there because you know he came up against diego schwartzman uh you know following that match in the in the second round and you know he lost again in in two quite tight sets um but it really it really does seem to be a problem at the moment for murray of of kind of closing out the the big points and particularly tie breaks because he's not really had a good run with uh, tie breaks um, kind of coming back from his his operation against, you know, really high caliber kind of top 20 ranking players. Well, you say that, but then he won two against TFO and won that very tight match. Mm, So perhaps being a bit harsh, but yeah, I think after that Schwartzman loss in the next round, you know, he lost that um, 6-4-7-6. He was sort of saying that he, you know, the decision-making wasn't quite how he wanted, especially in that second set. And he really needs to sort it out um, because ultimately, you know, he wants to be winning and he may play very well, but if you're not coming away at the end of the day with that win, you know, it's, 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 you're not getting that progression. It's a results business. Yep, exactly. Being very um, realistic there, but Mm. he has lost a a few matches. Yeah. This season, it sort of seems like those second set tie breaks, they sort of, or first set tie breaks, they, you know, if he could just perhaps get them and be on the the winning side, perhaps, you know, some of those matches against the top players would have gone differently. But I think having come through that epic with TFO, I think that, you know, that was a great win and he did, you know, 
put it together when it mattered. So, uh, especially in that last set tiebreak, and no wonder he probably would have been quite tired for the next round. I'm, I'm, you know, <laughs> after three hours and forty five, I think generally speaking, mm. he should be quite proud of his week. But um, well, I think that's what was so funny about it because I was watching that that match against Schwartzman, and I don't, I actually don't think energy levels or feeling tired was part of the conversation of of why Andy Murray lost. Um, you know, it was more Schwartzman was playing a really, really good game and Murray's decision making wasn't as as good as it as it had to be. Um, you know, there were a few shots I would particularly there was a smash that just went straight into the net, which he sort of aborted kind of midway through that that just made me think whether his his shot making wasn't it wasn't um you know, it wasn't as good as it needed to be. And as a result, Schwartzman was just able to really kind of be the really kind of show off his kind of counter punching availability uh, capabilities. And, and even when kind of Andy Murray was on the front foot in a point, Schwartzman was just able to kind of do a complete role reversal. And I think that was what's, what was quite interesting about that match. And it shows that I think for Murray that there is, there is a little bit of a way to go, but at the same time, the, the closeness of the sets to me suggests that it's, it's just around the corner. I know we've been saying this like the last few weeks, but it feels like he's he's coming to a point now where, um, you know, it, it will take one, I think, breakthrough tournament to kind of get him back. But hopefully, yeah, hopefully that will come come soon. Yeah, it could be a mental fatigue thing, you know, it, being mm. mentally tired, affects your decision making, etc. I mean, I know when I'm tired, I've I have no idea what to do for dinner, for example. I cannot <laughs> make a decision to save my life. So anyway, um, let's take a quick break now. Uh, but do join us in the second half. Got a lot more to talk about uh, still, including all the updates for Wimbledon 2022, the latest vaccine news coming out of the Australian Open and all of the events this week, including Vienna and also Emma Raducanu's debut in Transylvania. So do join us after the break. This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to the second half of the show, where before we get on to um, the news and previewing this week's events, we've got uh, the return of a game, Joel. We have a par for the courts. I think you've got one for me. I'm, yes. I'm very excited. We haven't done this in a few weeks, have no, we? No, we haven't. No, we haven't. And it's quite, I'm not going to like him. It's quite tough. I think it's quite tough. And listeners, I'm I'm warning you as well. I think it's quite tough. Um, but uh, yeah, I've got a path of the courts for you, Kim. I am going to give you once again, going to give you a topic, and I'm going to set a par score for you. I am hoping you don't do as badly as you did last time, because I'm pretty sure the last time we did this, you ended with a big fat zero because you were really confident about. I think you said, did you say Novak Djokovic, and it he wasn't on the list. Novak just messing it up for me. <laughs> what what the hell? I know. Um, yeah, hopefully I'll be a bit more um, conservative this time. But what have you got for me? <laughs> right. So it's quite it's quite open to be fair. Right. My question for you, or my topic for you, is there are twenty one players who have a victory against all of the big four. So Novak Djokovic. Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, and Andy Murray on the ATP tour. Okay. And I want you to name me as many of those those 21 players as possible. Now, I think this is quite difficult. I'm going to tell I'm not going to lie, there are some funny names in this list. Names that I think you would be very surprised by. 
um, which make which will probably make you think that some of these happened earlier on in their careers back in the day back yeah. in the day literally just one literally i'm just thinking one victory against rafa one victory against roger one victory against novak and one victory against uh andy so i'm gonna set the pass score so tw- there's 21 in total i'm gonna be quite conservative here and i'm gonna say i'm gonna say five Okay. Yeah, I think that's that. Yeah, that's it's a tough. It's tough. Yeah, it I think tough. I can get five. <laughs> okay. I mean, you've said okay. that we've been in this situation before. You've been confident, and it's not worked out well. But I, I, I ho- I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's going to work out well for you this time. Yeah, I, I do think 21 would be real going some, but I think I can get five. <laughs> so right, let's let's start without further ado. Okay. I am going to start with Stan Wawrinka. Correct. Yes. yes. Stan the man and his his red shorts, whatever. Yep, they are <laughs> they are in there. Yes. Okay, great. Uh Juan Martin Del Potro. Correct. Yes. Juan Martin Del Potro is in there. So that's two. So I'm looking for ideally three three more. So I'm just thinking obviously it's not just slams, it can be regular run of the mill tournaments. It's obviously a lot easier to beat. Djokovic and a Masters event, for for example, um, I feel like Songa has beaten everyone at some point. Correct. Yes, <laughs> Songa is in there. Very good. Um, yes, he is on the list. So that's that's your third. So two more to get path of the court. So I've got some other names that I'm bandying around. I'm thinking other French players like Monfils. Um, I know he's definitely beaten Rafa. I'm, I'm sure he's beaten Federer and Andy and probably would have beaten Novak in a smaller tournament. But I also want to say Thomas Burdich. But I'm thinking, did he actually, did he ever beat Novak? I'm sure he would have done in some tournament. So I'm going to say Thomas Burdich as my next one. Correct. Yes. Thomas Burdich is in there. I mean, similar generation. All of those victories. I mean, he did beat them. He did beat a few of those players, didn't he, at Grand Slams? But I feel like, yes, he's he was more of a tour, more of a tour, more of a tour force than a a slam force, wasn't he? Um. So I'm gonna go with Gail Monfils as well, as I've just been ruminating about him. So this is for this is for par for the court. This is for par for the court. Gail Monfils. Is that your final answer? Oh, yes. <laughs> it's incorrect, Kim. Oh, no. It's Has incorrect. he not beaten Djokovic? Girl Has Monfils. he never beaten Novak? Gael Monfils is not on the list. Oh, no. Man. How about Marat Safin? I was thinking about saying him. No, no Marat oh, okay. Safin. No. Tommy Robredo? <laughs> no, no Tommy no, Robredo. No. no. Oh. There were a lot of players in that era um that you could have oh. gone with there's some i mean there are some current players as well i was gonna and... say dominic team and zverev and um have they they've beaten them all haven't they if you had said alexander zverev he was the most recent one to do it so zverev would have been correct uh you could also could have said andy roddick oh yes okay arno clement i would not have said him <laughs> i have to say <laughs> uh david goffan okay David David Nalbandian. Yeah, Yeah, he beat them all, three of them in one week, Mm -hmm. didn't he? Um, 
Dominic Team also you could have had. So yeah, Dominic Team. Okay. Fernando Gonzalez. I'm not going to lie. I absolutely love this. Girl Monfils not on the list. Gilles Simon oh. is on the list. <laughs> really? Oh, yep. limey. Um, Grigor Dimitrov, Ivan Lubacic, mm. uh, Kane Shakuri, Marin Cilic, Mario, Mario Ancic. Oh, wow. Nick, Early days. Nick Kyrgios. Oh, Kyrgios, of course. Nikolai Davidenko, Robin Soderling, Stefanos Sissipas. Oh. I don't know why I didn't say more current players. <laughs> I just went straight back to like seven years ago or that kind of era. Um, okay. Yeah. If I didn't have that sort of all or nothing, I would have got more players, but obviously I went <laughs> yeah. for way too soon. Um, no, that's a great question. Listeners, how did you get on with that? Um, I'm sure you, a lot of you were able to beat my score. <laughs> yeah, Anything over 10, I would be very, very impressed with that. I'm actually going to, after this, Kim, I'm actually going to go and look up all of Jules Simon's victories against the big four. <laughs> YouTube. It must be on YouTube somewhere. Uh, um, so we've got a mailbag question uh, for this week as well, which is from Gail, uh, not Gail Monfils. It says Gail, spelt G-A-I-L, uh, who she got in touch with us on email and asked us this. So following the news that Baal will be getting a certified Fed Express as a mode of transport, I assume, you know, to the tournament, uh, which is coming up. What is the next form of transport you would like to see take on a tennis player's name? Um, I love that. I mean, I'm surprised Bald haven't had a Fed Express uh, already because it seems like an obvious thing to implement. Uh, what, what with the name, listeners, you've got no idea what we're on about. Just go onto Roger Federer's Twitter; you'll be able to see what we're on about. But basically, there's like a was it a tram in Bald, and it's got a branded Fed Express, yeah, uh, tram that is in the city centre. Uh, it's quite it's quite nice actually it's quite nice blues got him hitting a running back single-handed backhand yeah it looks great yeah he's looking quite dapper in his little mm. jacket as well with the uh, promo of that but um mm. yeah I mean what other transport would you would you like to be branded by a tennis player um for some reason my my head went to like everyone seems to be having like a rocket to space at the moment for space tourism so I for some reason, you know, just for the purposes of it, it starts with S. I was going to have like Serena's space shuttle. Um, <laughs> I think that she, I think she could, you know, once she hangs up a racket, I think she could go into the the booming space tourism trade. And uh, yeah, I've that's 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 sort of where I got. I wondered if if on Jabor as well, maybe she could have her own like. Maybe she already have maybe her a, a Jabour jet plane. I feel like she goes to every single tournament around the world that she could have her own branded uh, aircraft just to take just to take her everywhere. I feel like any if any tournament organizer wants a, a star player, I think on Jabour should be at the top of their list. Maybe Tunisian Air will sort of start thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, I, all I could think about was maybe like Benoit's bicycle for Benoit <laughs> Pair because I feel like a bicycle is quite a French thing mm. as well. And I can imagine him cycling around. I could see and, that you know, in, with his beard transport. just flowing yeah. down the downhill. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I love that. I mean, you could you could literally... You could get quite inventive, couldn't you? Raffa's mm. rodeo, perhaps that would be mm. quite interesting. I thought uh, although... Raffa's more of a boat person, isn't he? Isn't he yeah, got like a massive, massive so yacht. He has, yeah, he does like his yacht. So maybe he could, you know, 
venture out and have his own brand of yachts <laughs> going forwards. But um, no, great question, Gail. Thanks so much for getting in touch. And do remember, listeners, you can reach out to us and ask us any sorts of random questions you like. Um, we'll be happy to answer them on the show. Um, but in other news, lots of chatter about Grand Slams this week. We've had some updates from Wimbledon and the Australian Open. So next year for Wimbledon, um, they sent out an email. A lot of our listeners probably have received it, but they've <laughs> announced that, um, yes, there will be no uh, middle Sunday, you know, off. They'll, they'll be playing on the middle Sunday. So the fourth round is um, being split across the middle Sunday and second Monday. There's no no manic Monday anymore. Um, they're also, sadly, they're moving the mixed doubles final to Thursday mm. from the Sunday, which I think is a real shame. They're cutting the draw to only 32 pairs. They're moving it to earlier in the week, which seems the right shame to me because often there's a Brit in that event and it's sort of like the final jewel to sort of enjoy as the Wimbledon fortnight comes to a close and you get your, you know get behind mm. the, maybe a local. And having it on a Thursday just seems a bit of a letdown. Yeah, definitely. That was the That was the biggest sort of thing that jumped out of me at, at this release because there were a lot of yeah different sort of notes be notes being made but yeah the fact that I just don't think a Grand Slam final should be played on a Thursday I feel like ideally you'd have Grand Slam finals on a, on a weekend regardless of it's obviously singles or doubles um, and we we know that we've seen we've seen how you know fans love uh, you know watching mixed doubles they love the partnerships they love the chemistry they love seeing that sort of intergender um, competition and when it's being played on a weekday on like a Thursday when you know majority of people are working I yeah I gr- granted yeah it might be in the early evening but um, it just feels a bit of a missed opportunity to um, you know to, to have it on a weekday as opposed to a weekend I understand that you know there's going to have to be compromises made and you know I think you know now we've got the the ladies doubles final which will now complete the tournament um after the men's singles final instead which I think would have been that was traditionally where the the mixed doubles final used to be um but yeah it's just a bit of a shame because as you said like normally normally we see Brits it's like normally it's like the biggest opportunity for a, a Brit to either make a name for themselves or or you know go on a really amazing run and you know for it to kind of end on a on a Thursday feels a bit of a bit of a whimper really and you know if it can go away to the the weekend it can you know raise i think raise the profile and raise the awareness but um you know i'm sure a lot of kind of thinking has, has gone into this and I, as i said i'm sure compromises had to be made somewhere it's just a bit it's just a bit disappointing i think that yeah there wasn't a slot i think that mixed doubles could fill maybe on the yeah on saturday or sunday yeah and they're moving the ladies doubles final to after the men's singles final which mm. is when the um you know mixed doubles final would have taken place i wonder if that's because it is quite a lot to have lady singles ladies doubles men's doubles all in that saturday but anyway i mean it's you know there will be um there will also be a queue back for on the day tickets but i think there's also going to be online ticket sales as well i think it's going to be a bit of a hybrid perhaps um but and obviously there'll be a lot of people ballot (laughs) people's balloted tickets from 2020 will be transferred over to to next year except i guess for that extra sunday they're gonna have to have a little ballot for those i don't know um but we will see how it goes um it's just yeah exciting we've heard some updates already for next summer yes. it seems such a long way off but it'll be on mm. us before we know but, it <laughs> yeah but it, i think you know looking overall at the draw you know that that sort of symmetry of monday tuesday wednesday thursday 
Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I feel like if it makes it a lot even and maybe it will also help with the kind of the courts and, you know, how much pressure is being applied each day and we're not having I think we're over manic Monday and you know, I know I remember kind of a few years ago the US Open was sort of infatuated with trying to make sure I think the men's semi-finals were on both on the Saturday or something and it, it just didn't work you know it was felt more of a marketing ploy as opposed to like is this in the players best benefits and I think I think sort of manic Monday is kind of seen the seen the sort of extinction uh same sort of fate i think as as well and uh, i think i think i think fans you know are, are more for it i think you know it makes sense having more tennis on a weekend just feels a bit <laughs> feels feels a bit like of a bygone era having the you know the, the sunday the sunday off so uh, yeah i'm glad glad to see that in place and yeah got me a little bit excited about yeah the fact that we're gonna have kind of tennis across the whole two weeks uh in 2022 for Wimbledon indeed and the return of the queue so watch the space uh, well um, you can you can deal with the queue I'm you know I'm not about that life but you know <laughs> yeah you who have never queued how would you, how would you call yourself a tennis fan oh my anyway. god maybe you'll drag you'll drag me to the queue next summer maybe. we yeah live updates from Joel and the queue um <laughs> yeah um, but the Australian Open have announced also some news um and that is it's looking likely that there will be a vaccination mandate for all the tennis players coming in to the country uh the premier of Victoria has said that he doesn't think that it's likely that a tennis player will be able to get a visa to to come into play unless they are vaccinated. Um, if they weren't vaccinated, they would probably have to do the quarantine again. So either way, if you're a tennis player, you're going to need to be vaccinated or you're going to have to be prepared to do the quarantine, which obviously a lot of players found incredibly difficult um, last well, this year. So obviously there's a lot of hoo-ha about who hasn't has not been vaccinated. What you know, especially Novak Djokovic, you know, has he had it done yet? Um he's not wanting to reveal his his vaccination status. Um it may not matter. We may never know because it may not be needed um, you know, for the tournament. Although I suppose if we find out that he's doing two weeks of quarantine, we could probably guess um, you know, if it if it does come to the fact that they will allow players in if they're unvaccinated, but they'll have to do the quarantine. Um, so yes, it's all still up in the air, but it does look likely that they are going to have some sort of protocol in in you know for the um, for the slam. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a funny one because we've, we're getting kind of conflicting in well, not conflicting information. It's just like information from different sources, and although kind of the the Victoria Premier of of kind of saying, you know, you're going to need to be vaccinated in order to play the Australian Open we did have a, a leak um, that was kind of reported by Ben Rothenberg on on Twitter about the fact that WTA players have been told that unvaccinated players will be allowed to play but they must do so with a 14-day uh, hotel quarantine which I imagine would be like like before um, so it's a bit interesting to see obviously the WTA players are getting fed this information um, from you know the WTA and that makes sense but it sounds like potentially further down the line Victoria the state of Victoria might have other plans that um that sort of supersede I think whatever the ATP and and WTA say and I think that is the biggest question mark at the moment I don't you know I think the WTA and the ATP they can offer this kind of guidance in terms of you know what they want to happen but it feels like whatever whatever the state of Victoria want to do 
um, is is what's going to happen, and that would be applied to the event of the Australian Open. Um, and I think that's where the biggest question mark and uncertainty, I think, is for players at the moment. Because if that does happen, then yeah, it does sound like you're going to. It's either vaccination, double vaccinated. Or you're not, or you're not playing, and then players will have to make a decision in terms of whether they decide to play the Australian Open. And I think that will be, you know, that will be a big moment in terms of understanding who is who is ready to commit and say, okay, yep, I, you know, it, this is a Grand Slam, I want to play it. Therefore, although I've had these sort of um, reservations maybe about vaccinations in the past, I want to play tennis. Therefore, I'm going to do it, and you know. Maybe players like, for example, Sabalenka, who's had it and, and said, you know, yeah, it, it wiped me off the, the floor for, for four days. Maybe she's going to have different thoughts about it. But yeah, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting. It's coming. It's not going to be something. I hope it's not something. It, well, it won't be something that will be last minute. You know, players are going to need time for these vaccinations to happen. Um, you know, what, it's like six weeks, seven weeks to get both jabs and having the, the, the appropriate sort of delay period between the two but um yeah it, it feels like a bit of a drama at the moment given the sorts of updates we're getting from all the different sources indeed and we'll have to just wait for further announcements mm. but um at the moment yeah that's that's the situation so um there'll be a, i guess there's so much like speculation isn't it who hasn't has not had the vaccine and you know fair enough you don't have to like post about it and brag or you know post a selfie of yourself you know getting the vaccine but you know similarly enough you know should it be a, a state secret if someone asks I, I don't know but um we'll we'll wait and follow to see what what news we get I mean Kim the other thing as well is that this could set a precedent for for grand slams as well um you know we're right. seeing you know we're seeing for example in the NBA in the basketball there's a player I think for the I think for Br- Brooklyn, who doesn't, you know, he's a very good player, but he doesn't want to get vaccinated. And because of the NBA saying you must be vaccinated in order to play, he's just kind of sitting out the tournament. And, you know, if if this is if this potentially could be a, a precedent, then I don't know, maybe there would be examples of, of players having to sit out on the tour. I know that might be quite drastic and I wouldn't expect that. But um, yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see in terms of how next season starts. We're still not through winter yet, and you know we have, we've got the Transylvania Open coming up, and that's been told that it's going to be being played without lots of fans. So I think there's lots of still lots of time for things to you know to happen, and you know in, in lots of different countries. So yeah, it's definitely one to to keep an eye on. Absolutely. So let's look at what events are happening this week. As we mentioned, we've got Vienna, where we've got you know. A lot of the top names, we've got Sitzpass and Zverev there. We've got Sinner, you know, recent Antwerp champion. We've got uh, Matteo Berrettini, FAA, Kasper Ruud, Schwartzman. And this is, um, yeah, quite a ridiculous draw, actually. It's not really any easy matches, um, except I think you've pointed out Denis <laughs> Novak versus Gianluca Maggier. Um, which is perhaps the easiest of the first round picks. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot of um, title winners from this year um, in the draw. And obviously, you know, we've got the likes of Casper Ruud, Yannick Sinner, Herkaj, um, all going for that kind of final spot. Also also Cam Norrie, um, you know, final spot in Turin. So all up for grabs. Um, Andy Murray has also been in action Already, mm. as we're recording this again, and he's just had a match point, Kim, and then he's oh, lost okay. the second set. He's had a match oh. point and then lost the second set. 
Um, what were we talking about earlier? You know, him know. coming close. And and, hila- and hilariously as well, the, the two set scorelines were 6-4 and 7-6. So, um, again, it's just another example, I think, of how how par- how close, you know, Murray is pushing these these top guys, you know, players who are, you know, have strong hopes of getting to Turin. But, you know, it's a it's a results business and he's not getting the results at the moment. And it's in a... It's in a third set, and unfortunately, her catch is just going to break up straight straight away. One love, so um, yeah, we'll have to see how that that goes. But yeah, very very tough draw. Um, no, not really any sort of easy matches. Um, and yeah, I mean, Sissipas Dimitrov first up. I mean, Dimitrov's in great 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 shape at the moment, and uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit of an upset there potentially. Um, so uh, you know, we'll see, but um. Yeah, I mean, we've had some results already. Dan Evans lost uh, to Carlos Alcaraz. So Alcaraz will play the winner um, of Murray or Herkaj, which, uh, you know, could be a, could be a, a rematch. I mean, if Murray was to come through, that would be a rematch uh, with Alcaraz from the, uh, from Indian Wells. I think Baslashvili as well went through today, Kim, against one of your favorites, PCB. Um, obviously Bastashvili had quite a good run, um, in Indian Wells. So, um, yeah, a lot of, lot of decent players there, a lot of decent players in good form, a lot of players there, you know, wanting to get that last spot as well to the tour final. So it could shape up to be a really fun tournament given all the permutations I think that are on, that are, uh, sorry, that are possible. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to this one. We've already had, um, Carlos Alcaraz beating Dan Evans as well. So, yeah, it's a very exciting tournament um, this week in Vienna. We've also got the St. Petersburg Open in uh, Russia, where Rublev is headlining that one. And obviously Karatsev's there, Shapovalov is the second seed. I wonder if Andre Rublev will have a better week this week than he did in Moscow. Um, he hasn't got the easiest first round, though. It could be the B Laszlo Zier or Ilya Avashka. Avashka's been pretty decent this year, like with a few sort of big wins but um otherwise you know Karatsev might be on for for a double so I feel like you know it's either going to be one of them two again or maybe Shapovalov coming through maybe Kachanov I feel like it's it's looking likely for some sort of Russian or, victory you know Kim, Mar- Mar- Marin Cilic might be quite or dangerous unseeded unseeded there yeah. could face uh Kachanov in in round two so uh, I wouldn't count out Cilic just yet and Taylor Fritz as well I think is a player who again has been playing some very very good tennis recently so a lot of decent players there I wouldn't be surprised if yeah Fritz yeah Fritz or maybe Karatsev see how Rublev does but um yeah kind of interesting tournament there we've also got the Cormayeur Ladies Open in Cormayeur Italy which is a WTA 250 now Kim the draw here has been an absolutely over over the place because of uh various withdrawals I think Onjabor uh was meant to be the top seed uh dropped out due to an elbow injury Camilla Giorgi also dropped out Anne Lee is there so it'd be interesting to see if she can you know, back up her form in, in Tenerife. I mean, it's quite an open draw given as, I mean, Anjabor dropped out last minute. I think Yastremska for some reason is at the, the top of the draw and she's gone through. But, uh, again, it's a really open draw. Clara Torsen, um, you know, could be quite interesting. Um, you know, she again is one of these players I think has had a quite a very, very good, uh, very, very good season, uh, as a youngster. She might want to look to try to cap it off with a, a title in, in Italy. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think it's a, t- a draw that, yeah, has been sort of suffered from withdrawals more more than anything. And that, I think, is going to open up an opportunity for someone maybe we've not even heard of to go through and win the title. Absolutely. Yeah, it's all, all to play for, really, in, in there um, with, with all those um, withdrawals. And we've also 
I guess the main women's event on, on everyone's mind will probably be the Transylvania Open because of Emma Raducanu playing and also Simona Halep. So. And also because it's Halloween. And oh, yes, it's Halloween and it's Transylvania. <laughs> and I feel like we said this last year if it happened, <laughs> but I feel, you know, Transylvania is very well known for like Dracula and it's all kind of got that vibe <laughs> going on. Um, unfortunately, yeah, there's been a, some last minute withdrawals from here as well. I think Muguruza, Bedosa, Alexandra, they were all due to play. They've had to pull out. But I guess all eyes will be on Annette Contivate. You know, if she wins this tournament, I think she qualifies for Guadalajara. So she's the one to watch. Or, you know, I'm sure Simona Halep would love to end her season with a home title. And I'm sure Emma Raducanu would be loving, um, you know, the fact that, well, she, you know, she's, she, her, her father is Romanian. She'd love to probably get some wins under her belt at this tournament where she's obviously got a real connection to the locals. So, um, you know, and what can, what can Camilla Osorio do as well <laughs> off the back of a uh, final? Yeah, def- definitely. I think the, the the biggest shame is that, unfortunately, the they announced a few days ago that there's going to be no fans there. Um, you know, they were all gearing up. It's in a purpose-built stadium um, and, you know, they were expecting to have fans in there. And I think this it's probably caught them off guard a little bit given how late it was. And I think that's a real shame given some of the, the talent on show. Um so yeah, I think that's the only sort of disappointing bit. Um, it will be interesting I mean, from a British perspective to see how Radikanu gets on. She's got Herchog um, in the first round. I don't really know what to think anymore, Kim. You know, we were, you know, we were brought back down to earth. I think in in Indian Wells. So, you know, I think every match, um, you know, and every win, I think from this moment on through to the end of the season is a plus. I mean, she is in Simona Halep's half. And, you know, we were talking about that matchup potentially happening in India Wells. It didn't happen. It could be a semi-final. But as I said, we've got to think with Radikanu, we've got to, we just got to take it a match at a time now. And, you know, she's, you know, she's been speaking in the, the build up around the fact that she's having, I think, quite a few trials with different coaches. And, you know, it was interesting to hear her talk about actually she's learning to coach herself. And I quite like that, like, feeling of like independence and you know obviously you know you're on a tennis court and you're on your own and being able to to think for yourself as well but um yeah it'll be uh interesting to see how she he she gets on given you know given what's happened and i think given the you know the situations he's in at the open with her her coaching setup absolutely yeah it'll be really interesting to see how she gets on and um mm. i think that brings us to a close joel um before we kind of go off to watch the rest of this Andy Murray, Hubert Hurkacz match. <laughs> uh, see if Andy Murray can get over the finish line after being a setup. Um, we'll be back next week as usual to, um, to round up all the action, you know, from all of the events happening this week and any other news on the tour. I know very exciting listeners. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest catch up. Big, big breaking news as well. Kim knows this and listeners. Now you're going to know it. I'm going to be, at the Billie Jean King Cup finals in Prague. As a fan, I'm there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So if there are any passing shot listeners out there and you're like, I really want to meet Joel from the show, uh, I will be there with a friend. Uh, Kim sadly can't make the visit, but uh, I will be there. Um, maybe I'll give some few a few live updates as well. But um, yeah, looking forward to that one. And we've got Davis Cup coming up, coming up as well. So lots of team tennis back on the agenda. But um, yeah, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this latest catch up with the passing shop. Um, remember to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Castbox, Stitcher, and all good podcasting platforms out there. 
And you can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. If you want to show your support for the show as well, then why not leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts? And you can check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So do get in touch. Give us a like and a follow if you don't already. You can also contact us via email if you prefer, PassingShotPod at gmail.com. Or do check out our website, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next week at Passing Shot HQ for the next round of tournaments on the ATP and WTA tours. How will Annette Contivate do? Will she be able to make her way into Guadalajara for the WTA tour finals? Will Andre Rublev be able to bounce back from his defeat against Manorino in St. Petersburg? We will soon find out, but I hope you can join us for our next catch up and we will see you again soon. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.